Welcome to the Control the Room podcast, a series devoted to the exploration of meeting culture and uncovering cures for the common meeting. Some meetings have tight control and others are loose. To control the room means achieving outcomes while striking a balance between imposing and removing structure, asserting and distributing power, leaning in and leaning out, all in the service of having a truly magical meeting. If you're listening to this podcast, there's a good chance that you'd be interested in checking out our third annual facilitation summit. Due to the pandemic, we're going virtual this year, and we've got some really awesome things waiting for you. We have 18 master facilitators, and each day, six of them will be sharing 20-minute lightning talks in the morning and facilitating workshops in the afternoon. Each attendee will get to see 18 talks and three workshops over three days. There are plenty of networking opportunities to connect with other attendees, plus games and prizes. I would also like to thank Mural, our exclusive conference sponsor. Mural is an online collaboration tool that we'll be using during the conference. Hope to see you there. Register today at voltagecontrol.com events. Today, I'm with Nicole Baer, Global Head of Marketing for Logitech's video collaboration business, a market leader and one of the fastest growing businesses at Logitech. Welcome to the show, Nicole. Thank you, Douglas. I'm thrilled to be here. So let's get started with a little bit of background on how you found your way into a company that focuses on hardware and software solutions for better meetings. Well, it's always been, you know, remote work has been a topic that I've been passionate about for most of my career. As someone who has had different sort of flexible work options uh, earlier on in my career, had children, and still had to deal with sort of black hole conference calls <laughs> all, all day long, <laughs> you know, virtual, virtual meetings and remote work um, have been a topic that's been super interesting to me. So when the opportunity came along, to lead global marketing for Logitech in their video collaboration space. It was a really interesting uh, way for me to bring an interest and a passion that I had around how remote work really creates inclusivity in the workforce Mm. and gets us out of very difficult uh, conference calls where it's sort of like a black hole of decision-making because you can't really interact with people the way you would in person. You know, it kind of brought together what I noticed in, my, in the behavior in meetings with something that I was passionate about from a social perspective and really brought those two things together in, in one role. So that was fortuitous. Yeah, I love this. I love this notion of, you know, this social aspect of meetings and, and just the dynamics at play there. And you, you mentioned the inclusivity yeah. of, of these tools versus the black hole, you know, conference call. What, what inherently makes this more inclusive? Well, I think, first of all, you know, by turning cameras on in virtual meetings in particular, you know, it allows for face-to-face engagement, which is so important with humans, human decision-making, human interactions. You know, that's how we, as as tribes of people, whether it's, you know, in a meeting or, or, um, you know, out in the world, that's how we come to decisions. And so if you, if you miss out on that, that element of being able to interact face-to-face really from any location, you, you miss all of the nonverbal communication that just cannot be underscored as, as how important it is. Um, we're just programmed as humans to take in a lot more information than what people are saying by watching, you know, watching them as they're saying it, catching inflections in voice, but also microfacial expressions, et cetera. So, 
you know, I, I think it's it's so important that we have the ability to interact face to face, drive decision making, drive collaboration, but not have to have that be physically in person. And of course, that's something that has become incredibly important to all of us during the pandemic. You know, it's you're you're touching on something that's like near and dear to all of us facilitators, we talk about this notion of human connection and what are, what are the signals that we have available to us. And mm-hmm. I think that, uh, you know, when, when you look at in real life, you're right, that we have lots of practice, you know, picking mm-hmm. up on all these signals that, that sometimes we don't even, we don't even think about it, right? It's just second nature. These things come in, we process them and we make use of it to think about understanding others or, or bringing others in. And in the yeah. virtual setting, it can be quite difficult. And I recently was talk, com- comparing it to this kind of idea of in the early days of e-commerce. I'm sure you can remember in the, in the early 2000s um, yes. you know, when everyone was trying <laughs> to figure this out, right? right. I feel like we're kind of in that moment right now where, yeah. where companies like Logitech are there figuring the stuff out and pushing the boundaries of what's possible so that we can get better signals and we can understand each other better. And to and I think the pandemic kind of forced that the hand a bit to, to move a little bit quicker in some of those things. Yeah, no, I agree. And even, you know, some of the things that we're doing that that are very forward looking at Logitech and some other interesting companies are looking at too is, you know, how do we really create equal participation in meetings? Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the, the societal evils like gender bias and racial bias come out in meetings. And you see that through unequal participation of all parties. And, you know, that's that's a really interesting avenue to explore people analytics around meetings and be able to sort of feed that information back to managers so they better understand their behavior and how they can improve HR, DNI teams, et cetera. I think that's that's something that's super interesting and sort of a next, you know, we're talking about waves of, of technology. That's that's something that's super interesting that I think we'll start to see more of soon. And there's also, you know, in addition to the social aspects, there's also just the human element of people who are more introverted, more extroverted. And how do you ensure that all parties have a voice in a conversation and bring those diversity of opinions so that you're actually having really productive, differentiated meetings by bringing everyone into it. And that's a challenge, I think, for for all managers to do and facilitators. A couple of things you said there are really intriguing. And the, the first one is, you know, this notion of I would say it's not the same for everyone, right? The there are folks that are have a have really amazing home setup. Right. You know, maybe they have the latest greatest Logitech stuff, or they have the the camera, they have the microphone, they have they have all the tools. Yeah. There's others that it's not for lack of resources, but they just don't have space in their home. Then you ladder in stuff like the pandemic is different than people deciding to work from home. There's a lockdown in place. There's childcare is not available. Right. And so you've, you've got these dynamics where people are, um, I've been in workshops where people have had their mics muted and not participating because they're con- there's construction in the next room. They're trying yeah. to be sensitive to the others. And so I'm really fascinated about what happens next when we can take what we've learned and the understanding that it is possible to work in this way and mm-hmm. allowing our teams to be remote is totally fine, but we don't have this extra burden of worrying about educating our children <laughs> oh, yeah. right after the session or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, I mean, that, there's been, you know, definitely the world, or, or I should say, um, solutions to try to address distractions. That's definitely been accelerated during the pandemic. Like, of course, you know, Logitech makes 
webcams that will auto frame. You know, we make headsets that will keep noise distraction out. But then companies like Zoom and Microsoft and, you know, even anyone who really has a brand these days that they would like to have behind someone in a meeting are providing things like virtual backgrounds so that you really can work anywhere. And if you have the right tools, it kind of doesn't matter what's in your background. And as long as you have like a webcam and a headset, you can remain as focused as you can be given the other, you know, factors that you said, like dogs that bark at every Amazon delivery. <laughs> I'm using my own personal example or children who have math questions, you know, so, so yeah, I mean, it's, we, we definitely have seen an acceleration of everything that has to do with the ability to work from anywhere in ways that we never could have imagined over the last, you know, let's call it six to nine months. It's the biggest remote work and remote meetings experience ever. No one could have engineered this. And it's also interesting to see, you know, what we see in Logitech, some traditional industries who have really resisted having people work from home, coming around to the fact that you can trust people to be productive. If anything, the bigger problem is more around overwork and burnout. You know, we've been working with a professor, Dr. Joe Allen from the University of Utah, who has the vaunted title of being a PhD in meetings. Um, he's actually an industrial organizational psychologist. And some of his recent data shows that, you know, we're, we're spending, managers are spending nearly 90% of their time in meetings now. And people are just working nearly an hour more than they did pre-pandemic. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it's interesting to see how concerns about working from home have pivoted to concerns about overworking from home. And the and concern about having too many meetings and people being in too many meetings is another thing that's definitely, I think, being raised among management and traditional industries that, you know, this was this was sort of a non-issue before, like financial services. So it's 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 pervasive across industries. It's not just technology, for example. Yeah, you know, it's like I think it disrupted a lot of our habits and we started to reform new habits. It's like the need to drive in or commute um, on the subway or whatever um, broke up the day, you know, right. and, it, and it forced us to go through almost like Superman getting into the, the telephone booth and having to transform into this other role. So this, the, but the boundaries between, you know, being, um, being a parent versus being a worker, they, they start to blur. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, you know, I, I can speak as someone who, who is a parent with two children um, learning from home right now is it, it definitely creates a new cognitive load to have to sort of switch between modes co constantly. Um, you know, they talk, people talk about the cognitive load of Zoom because we are working harder as humans. Uh, Zoom or Microsoft or whatever, you know, whatever software platform you use, it creates more of a cognitive load for us to to meet virtually versus in person because we have to work harder to read the signals that I was talking about earlier. But it, there's also a cognitive and emotional load of having to switch between work and engaging with work and then also having your children need lunch or you know you need to go get a package at the doorstep, things that you really wouldn't be experiencing if you were if you were home all the time. Um, so yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's an interesting time that we're in. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, part of it is like you say, the fact that we haven't had as much experience being in virtual meetings. I mean, we, we've been doing in real life gatherings since we were 
as soon as we could walk. I mean, yeah. <laughs> even before then, we were being carried to them, you know? And so right. we've had a lot of time rehearsing and learning how to do those things. And the technologies, if you look at the technology space, I mean, we've been we've been doing in real life meetings since the cave the cave days, right? right? Yeah. The cave paintings. And so, you know, this 10, 15, 20, however long you want to count it on this teleconferencing stuff, it's going to pale in comparison to our techniques and, and approaches we have. So it's amazing yeah. how far we've come, but there's still a lot, of, a lot of work to do there. And I've just been really amazed at, at how far some, some of the things have been. And I'm, one thing I'm noticing is there, there's an open source tool called Jitsi that mm-hmm. is tracking, that will track the, 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 the airtime. So how much each person's been talking. Yes. And then I, there's a Zoom wrapper that you can, in their marketplace that you can get. And I'm blanking on the name right now, but I'll have to put that in the show notes. But the um, but one of the coolest features it does um, for the facilitator is show you uh, the distribution. And I think when you come back to that inclusivity piece, yeah. and if there's a mindfulness to how you approach it, then you can you can draw out those folks that aren't talking as much or the ones that are over talking, maybe ask them to, to dial it down a little. Yeah. Yeah. That's part of, you know, that's part of what we're looking at is, is what you're describing, meaning airtime and inclusivity. Mm. There's also a whole other element too of how AI can support the right behaviors in meetings and be able to, for example, not only taking information around who's talking, but things like voice level, mm. how when people are getting heated, when their body level change, they shift from, from leaning in to sitting back, um, even temperature in the room. Is it starting to literally get heated? <laughs> you know, we talk about conversations getting heated, but that actually has an impact on uh, the temperature in the room that you're sitting in. We're talking about in real life gatherings, of course, at this point, but yeah, I mean, there's there. I think that we're going to find that out of this time, we're going to have developed so much more thinking around meetings and will really advance and accelerate some of these analytics that can help people change their behavior in meetings. Because if you think about how much, you know, a manager, as I was mentioning, a manager is now spending nearly 90% of their time in meetings. That is really where you're behaving. That's a lot of where your behavior is happening is within meetings. So if we don't, if we're not feeding back, good insights on what's happening in meetings, we're missing a huge opportunity to really describe to people how they're behaving in concrete terms. And also have AI help with that, you know, have AI not only monitor what's happening in a meeting, but be able to give cueing. You know, you can imagine, you know, it's kind of a hokey example, but you can imagine uh, Alexa, you know, in in a meeting saying, let's get back on topic, (laughs) you know, (laughs) Alexa reading the agenda, you know, knowing that we've gone off topic or knowing that we're not really getting through what we need to in the meeting and getting cues like that. I think that's something that is very real. It really could happen in the near future. Yeah, it reminds me of there was a product called Crystal Nose that you could take a personality test and then it would make a profile of you and then it's like reading your email and giving you tips on how to respond to the emails to make sure uh-huh. that like your your person your response matches with the personality of, uh-huh. or the or the sentiment of what's coming back and, yeah. and it's like the real time version of that it's like right. happening in the meeting so that we have cues on you know this person might need to hear this version of the message so that you can tweak it so that so much disagreement and conflict comes from perception and how people it, it, the intent doesn't matter, <laughs> right? You know, and, right. and even microaggressions. What if, mm-hmm. the, what if a an AI could tell you, you know, what you said might have been even mildly offensive? Oh, it's like, oh, I should be aware of that. You know, yep. if it just came out and I didn't even realize it, like, and now I can have that feedback could mm-hmm. be huge. I agree, and it's a hundred percent 
possible to do. So we'll, we'll, I think we're going to see some really interesting things come on the market soon around this. And I think it's, I think it's going to be incredibly helpful uh, for, com for companies and individuals. I agree. And I, I, I'm, you got me excited. I'm now, I'm now looking forward to this. <laughs> so another thing, when I come back to the, to my comments around just the amount of time that we've spent just understanding and, and designing in-person meetings, yeah. I think that's another thing that's a big drain on folks because another reason why so many of these meetings are, aren't quite as effective is because the virtual meetings take more time to plan and prep because we've got extra tools we got to bring in. We've mm -hmm. got to, we, we can't just rely on using an empty whiteboard is often pretty acceptable, but you know, an empty mural or Miro is like, mm -hmm. that's more problematic, right? Because right. there's wayfinding and people understanding where to go and how, and what what's expected of them. Yeah. So I think that's something that should not be underestimated. And, and I think maybe we'll see more tools support our ability to just have ad hoc meetings, Yes. you know, not have to do as much planning on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, the ability to have more water cooler type conversations, you know, that's part of what's adding to the meeting load is that those those informal meetings are not happening, at least in the same way they did before, where you could just spin your chair, you know, or you go walk over and you chat with someone. And now that's become a meeting. <laughs> you know, that's you have to schedule a meeting for that. And of course, there are lots of ways to not have to make something a formal meeting, but I think it's kind of the default. You know, if you have a question you need to get answered, if it has any degree of complexity, then you kind of default to thinking it needs to be a meeting. But, you know, one of the things that we ask about a lot, and I know this would seem, you know, paradoxical because we are all about virtual meetings at Logitech, but, you know, a question that we ask ourselves a lot is, does this need to be a meeting or can it be an email or can it be a chat or can it be a Slack? Because a, a lot of meetings really are not required, you know, it, like meetings should be around complex topics that require diversity of opinions uh, to drive decision making. But oftentimes it can be an email or it can be mm -hmm. a short note. It doesn't have to be a full blown meeting because you're right. If you're going to schedule a meeting, it really needs to, it, it, it has, there has to be, there have to be some guardrails around it to make sure it's productive and a good use of people's time. Yeah. It was a BBC study that came out gosh, it was maybe almost a year ago now. <laughs> I remember the headline just made me chuckle. It said, most pointless meetings are actually a form of therapy. <laughs> that's, that's probably true. And it's really profound if you unpack it because it means that people need that water cooler time. They need that, yes. that moment together. So then they just throw meetings on the calendar just so that they can connect with people. Yeah. But the problem with that is it's not intentional. That means that we don't, we maybe, are we doing too little of it, too much of it? We don't know because we're not measuring, we're not intentional about it. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, I think one thing that I say to my team in an effort to mitigate all of our meetings, we have like, you know, real working time, which is so important is a phrase that I picked up from my last boss, which was no agenda, no attenda. Uh, <laughs> and it's, you know, it's, it's caught on on my team too. But, you know, if you don't, if you don't have an agenda, which is what industrial and organizational psychologists would call procedural communication, which I mean, exactly what you're describing, sort of the formal aspects of needing to set up a meeting, whether it's the actual setting it up, getting yourself in place to have a virtual meeting, deciding what's going to go into the meeting, that part of procedural communication is super important. Even just by following, you know, some basic stuff like having an agenda, it lifts the effectiveness of your, of your meetings in the low double digits. I mean, it's, it's insane. And that doesn't seem like a huge number, you know, 12% doesn't seem like 
a large number, but at the same time, if you think about how many meetings we all have, uh, that would be a gigantic improvement just to consistently have an agenda if you are going to call a meeting and then leverage other things like you were describing, the informal chat, Slack, email, etc., when you really don't need a meeting. Yeah, I think also in a, even putting an agenda together, together makes you think a little more deeply about your yep. purpose, which clarifies that goal. And then that is goodness as well. And often, you know, if someone is sitting down, pen to paper, trying to make an agenda and they're struggling, there's, there's a chance they might just cancel yeah. the meeting or just say, you know, I, let me just send an email. That's just as much, this agenda is so much work. I might as well just type this email. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In fact, I've seen, you know, within my own team behaviors where people will cancel the one-on-ones that they have with me because if they, if they can't put together an agenda, they move over to an email take the time off of our calendars and make it an email. And that makes me extremely happy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Cancel meetings is always it's a fun. Gift. Um, Sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes. So I I was also thinking about this notion of 3D Mm -hmm. audio and as a potential solve for the serendipity. Um, Because if um, it's one thing to put yourself out in some random room that has to be topical or, or like conceptual in some way, I guess you could. You could have a chat space where you put where you just go into like random hallway mm-hmm. or something, but this notion of this visual layout where it's almost like you're in a game interface and you just wander off to the spot mm-hmm. like you would, um, and then someone else could be wandering around and you could potentially bump into them, and then even this notion of walking meetings. Yes. I think like we're all, everyone's kind of conceptually. I think we're we we placed ourselves in these boxes, and most often they're these like these Hollywood square boxes in zoom, but nonetheless, they could be conceptual boxes. And I think breaking out of that could really serve us well. And I think technology will start to allow us to do that more and more. And, you know, I even think like, what if, what if walking around somehow simulated some, like some tech could realize you're walking around and realize someone else is going on a walk and maybe connect you for informal chat, you know, could, could some of those things start to happen or even AI figuring out the like, Based on what they're doing and saying and talking about right now, I think these two people need mm-hmm. to talk. That would be so. That would be really interesting. Just being able to read email, for example, and know that they need to actually have a conversation. Yeah. Kind of the opposite of of using email instead of having a meeting. Sometimes you really need to have a meeting and just like speak to each other. Yeah, but you don't know that until you bump into each other right. at the water cooler. But if the AI is figuring it out, it reminds me of the Abundance 360 conference. His name is mm-hmm. Diamandes, right? And he wrote a, an, he had a, um, I think he did a Kaggle competition. It's one of those machine yeah. learning mm-hmm. sites, right? And he did a competition to to write an algorithm to look at all of his participants and figure out how to pair people oh, interesting. up. And so whenever, when people showed up at the conference, each person got a name for someone wow. they were supposed to go meet. And the AI had figured out who was had the most probability of working together well. But it just dawned on me. That it would be based on the the stuff that you that you've been talking about. It'd be so cool to be able to like detect these kind yeah, of opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's super interesting. And uh, I was just thinking about you what you were saying about that tech, the matchmaking tech. Like that would be great for just networking in general. You know, we struggle with that as marketers. How do you set up sort of the best opportunities to network with people in real life or virtually? And that that technology sounds like it's a really interesting solve for that problem. I mean, we we certainly uh, I can say at Logitech. 
tech, you know, we we're trying to to sort of mix up the way that we meet. You know, there's different 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 policies that we have um, across different teams or different sort of door openers for communicating and collaborating. So. One of the managers I work with has something called, like, if, if the green dot's on, I'm on, something like that. I, I can't remember. It's something kind of catchy, mm-hmm. but it basically means that if the green dot of, of availability is there, anyone can reach out to him in whatever medium they want to. So whether that means calling him or they want to chat with him or whatever it is, it means he's available for water cooler type conversations. And I think that that's, that's smart. We've also started doing, you know, because walking meetings were were definitely a thing you know we I, I did when we were um, still on campus uh, and I know a lot of, you know this is certainly not new we definitely did do quite a few walking meetings for one-on-ones and I really enjoyed them so uh, on my team we've started also doing our one-on-ones at time and walking so that we can just get up and take a break and get away from a screen which is good for our eyes it's good for our brains and just mix up the ways that we're communicating so it doesn't just feel like an endless stream of meetings all day. Yes, I think that varying the setting, the place, yep. the context, the structure, yep. all really good Agreed. stuff. And you you have a talk coming up at Zoomtopia around mindful meetings. I'd love to hear, can we sure. get a sneak peek on what you're excited yeah. about talking about? And yeah. yeah, so we started exploring this concept of mindful meetings pre-pandemic. You know, it seems like a long time ago now. <laughs> but we, we had a... We, we had a really interesting gathering of thought leaders across a variety of different uh, disciplines around how to have better meetings and really solving that big chunky problem. And, you know, we brought together faith leaders and coaches or how they, you know, since coaches have to, you know, they have gatherings all the time of their players. You know, we had uh, neurosurgeons, we had uh, psychologists, et cetera. We brought this group together to try to solve this net of how to make better meetings. And, and, and out of that meeting last October, we came up with this idea of mindful meetings. How do we bring in mindfulness in, into meetings so it's not just sort of a hamster wheel you get on, you know, you look at your calendar and you just kind of go for the day, but how to be, how to be more, uh, more present in meetings, how to make sure that you're communicating to others that you're present and engaged in the meeting how to do the right sort of procedural communication, which I was talking about before, having an agenda, making sure that you're respectful of cultural norms around what is an acceptable amount of lateness, understanding, you know, how late can one be before you've really torpedoed the meeting <laughs> and made people resentful, you know, th- <laughs> so it's really about like understanding your the the impact on others that you have in meetings understanding how to have better meetings and and understanding when to have a meeting and so that's really all of that goes into the pot of having more mindful meetings so i'm really excited to to delve into this more at zoomtopia which is um october 13th and 14th yeah it reminds me like when you were talking about mindful it um you know, reminded me of just intention and, and how we can just not just like throw meetings all over someone's calendar and usurp our coworkers' time, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Then use that word mindfulness. Mm-hmm. And it really jumped mm-hmm. out to me because when we do our facilitation training, we, we talk a lot about mindfulness and being intimately aware about the, your internal conditions and, and what you bring into mm-hmm. the room. And there's a, a quote from O'Brien from Theory U where he says, the success of any 
intervention depends on the interior condition of the intervener. Mm-hmm. And knowing what we bring in is so powerful because not only is the facilitator, but also every right. attendee. If we're if we're totally checked out or, or really upset about something else, we're not going to necessarily be great facilitators or great exactly. Yeah, you know, it's it's having intention for the meeting. It's showing up on time for the meeting. It's allowing people to talk and participate fully. Kind of coming full circle back to inclusivity, making sure that there's a structure of what we want to talk about. It gets resolved, and you know, even. Things like we talk about as part of mindful meetings, having a closing breath for everyone. And I know that sounds sort of mm-hmm. hokey, but it, it really, it, it, it provides a way to have closure on the meeting and for the people that just collaborated to feel a sense of we just accomplished something. You know, so we're, we're practicing a closing deep breath by everyone at the end of a meeting. And it's amazing how much it um, helps also prepare yourself and transition into the next thing that you're working on um, rather than feeling this frazzled feeling of just going from thing to thing, just taking a breath, closing the meeting as a group and moving on. I love that. One of, one of the speakers that control the room last year talked about a team yep. breath. And so that's your version of a team breath, but specifically at the end of a meeting and closure is, is so critical because if we just have a, a simple like, oh yeah, we got some action items. Okay, see see you uh-huh. tomorrow. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, like it's way different than if we come together and into a ceremony or a ritual that really has some poignancy to it that gives us that sense of yep, closure. Agree. And you know, it it also reminds me of we have so many meetings and we're kind of just marching from meeting to meeting, often with no breaks in between, and that sense of closure is really mm-hmm. important. Also, how we start up meetings is also an area for design as well, because if we expect that people did close the previous meeting, we may we might be right. wrong. There's might be stuff still running through right. the heads around what they right. what just happened. Yeah, and it's it's so important, you know, to to give us sort of time to process whatever happened before when you come into the meeting, which is also, you know, I think it's really important to not just launch in (laughs) to what's in the agenda, you know, spend that time connecting with the people on the meeting, you know, asking how their day is going. It also, it also helps, I think, understand what people are bringing into the meeting. You know, if they're coming in really hot from a meeting that maybe had, you know, considerable conflict in it or was had technology disruptions. And so they're frazzled, you know, those are good things to know coming. It's good to spend like the first two minutes of the meeting, having those, um, having those sort of normal human interactions to, to kind of get a check on where people are in the room too, because that's really helpful information. And then, you know, at the end of it, having a similar moment of sort of closing it together and then moving on. Yeah, I love that. That just that check in at the beginning, and I, yeah, I usually coach people to make that part of the agenda. You know, like honor it enough to say that this is like I'm gonna t- I'm gonna put I'm gonna put some time reserved right. to it. I'm gonna think about how I approach it, and and even look into new ways because there's always new people are always coming up with new warm ups and new ways mm-hmm. to kind of um, draw people in. And I think that's really spot on advice just to make sure we have time for the team to feel heard and and just to ease into it a little. Yeah, I agree. And I think it also connects back to not being late because if, you know, if you're, if you're coming in late to a meeting, which is just, you know, can be a byproduct of having too many meetings, you know, just kind of just getting to the point of your prior meeting toward the end. And so you're scrambling to, to get whatever you want to get accomplished, accomplished. But, you know, even if you're coming in late, still taking a minute to connect with the people in the room is really important. 
Absolutely. And, you know, it reminds me of some of the stuff we talk about in in magical meetings, which is thinking about before the meeting, during the meeting, after the meeting, because there's not only stuff to do during the meeting, which is, I think gets a lot of focus from, that's just the kind of knee jerk, right? There's stuff that we can do ahead of time to help people do better. You talked about sharing the agenda, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's other expectations, some setting kind of mm-hmm. things or, or things that we can prep and, and get ready for folks so that even if it's like an, an asset that we might react to or that we might collaborate on, if we have that ready and prepped, then it's just makes things go a lot more smoothly. Yeah, I agree. And then I think for particularly you know, things that are particularly co- complex, making sure that people in the room understand what the expectation is of what their in- what their role is going to be in terms of what kind of input they need to provide. So they're prepared. You know, there's nothing worse than going into a meeting and having, you know, someone say, can you tell us about that data? You know, that's going to, you didn't, you're <laughs> like, I didn't even know we, I needed that data, you know? So I think it's good to set that expectation too. Like what are the, and, and that helps with inclusivity to say, you know, I'd like for you to make sure you, you've brought this data and, you know, I'd like for you to make sure you provide your point of view on, you know, X topic, whatever it is. So also so that people are really prepared to come and talk. I mean, of course, not not all meetings can you be that that planful about, but to the extent that it's an it's something that's really important and you want to drive decision making, those things can be hugely impactful. Yeah, and when you talk about inclusivity, I mean, there's some people... Some people look at a chart of numbers and like immediately see the patterns. Some people <laughs> yeah. look at a chart of numbers and they're just like, yeah. it freaks them out. And then they need to like set it aside, <laughs> come yeah. back to it an hour later, look at it a little more, like maybe like scribble some, some math on the side or whatever and make some circles and extract the patterns. And, yeah. you know, if you really want to tap into a broad perspective, just throwing a chart at people is, is only going to be able to get in- input from a certain group. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. As someone who, I love data, I love working with data, you know, but I also like to have some time with it before, Mm -hmm. you know, making sure that as you get to know your team, you get to know the people you're working with. Do they prefer a pre-read? You know, if they prefer a pre-read and that's what's going to help make the meeting more effective, send send things out as a pre-read. It's like there's no, no, no downside in doing so. I like that point you made around roles and expectations as well, because I think so many times it's easy to fall into the trap of having a notion of how a decision is going to get made. And if you don't communicate that, then other people don't know. And so a classic trap leaders get into is when they just want some advice and they bring people together and they don't make it clear that I'm just asking for advice, but I'm going to make this decision regardless of what you tell me. But (laughs) but I really want to know what you have to say. And then if they go and make a totally different decision, then people can get upset because they're like, why didn't you listen to my advice? Right. And it could have been totally avoided by um, setting the expectations up front. And the dangerous thing about that, too, is that if that's done too many times, then people stop contributing. Even yeah. when you are going to give them, when you're going to delegate, they don't even want to make the decision because they're like, you're just going to undo it. That's that's the perspective that's been planted, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. I, I had a boss like that once who oftentimes would sort of take the pulse on a decision that was already made just to make sure there were no gotchas. But that's okay as long as that is you're clear that mm. I'm looking for gotchas. I'm going to tell you what I, what I plan on doing. And I might veto this if there's a really good reason for me to do so. But otherwise, this is the decision. And, and being clear that that's really what you're, what you're asking for can be important too. Absolutely. So uh, as we're kind of coming up on time here, I want to just, uh, I want to ask you one of my favorite questions, which is, what is your facilitation superpower? Uh, <laughs> um, I would probably say 
two that are kind of related, um, humor mm. and humility. I mean, I, I think the further I get into my career, the, the more that I understand that bringing some humor into a meeting and keep, and you know, there, there are meetings that are not lighthearted by nature, right? They're just not, but you know, it just helps to break up cognitive load. And I think that having some humor, trying to enjoy the experience, bringing some lighthearted moments to others really helps with the engagement in the meeting and it helps with connection and it helps people really bring their full brain to what you want to talk about and do their best work. So I think humor is important. It's not about just telling jokes. It's just taking the moment, you know, where you can. I poke fun at myself all the time. I'm often the victim of my own my own humor and meetings. Highly effective, highly effective. And it goes yeah. along with the humility piece, right? Because no one yeah. wants to, everyone wants to support the person who is willing to show their weakness. And, and if someone's the hero, then it's can, I don't know, be yeah. off-putting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think the the humility piece is, you know, coming oftentimes you, you start to lose sight as leaders that that, you know, others especially that might be in, more in the beginning of their career can be intimidated. You know, I remember being a 22-year-old with a VP in a meeting and it was intimidating. And making sure that I bring humility into the conversation, I'll make sure people are talking engage with folks, asking them, you know, asking them to contribute and valuing their opinion. I think that goes a long way to having full participation in, in meetings and, and just with work in general. So when you think about the listeners and what we've discussed today, is there anything you'd like to leave folks with to think about as they kind of walk around with what we've been talking about? You know, I think that we're in such a unique time in history. And it's a really important moment in time to develop some skills that we really might not have had the opportunity to do before, you know, around how, how are you a good, how, how do you act as a good meeting facilitator when it's virtual, it's not in person? You know, how do you encourage full participation in meetings? How do you make better meetings? These are all things that we can kind of experiment with when we're working from home and we've had our complete paradigm shifted in the way that we work. So it's really the time to experiment. It's time to acquire new skills. It's time to get maybe comfortable with technology that you have not maybe been comfortable with before. And, you know, come out the other side of this pandemic feeling like you learned a new gear uh, with meetings and with work. Excellent. Well, it's been great chatting with you today and best of luck on your talk at Zoomtopia. I'm sure it's going to be great. Thank you. Nice speaking with you, Douglas. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Control the Room. Don't forget to subscribe to receive updates when new episodes are released. And if you want more, head over to our blog where I post weekly articles and resources about working better together. VoltageControl.com